It's November 3rd, 2021, Hawaii over the internet, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Ganto 4, Chapter 28, Paranjana Becomes a Woman in His Next Life, Text 61. Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Yat Puman San Shriam Satim Manyase no Bayam Yadvai Amso Pasya Vayor Gatim This illusory energy is my potency, and actually, both of us, you and I, are pure spiritual identities. Now, just try to understand this. I am trying to explain our factual position. Shri Prabhupada's purport. The factual position of both the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the living entity is qualitatively one. The Supreme Lord is the Supreme Spirit, the Super Soul, and the living entity is the individual spiritual soul. Even though both of them are original spiritual entities, identities, the living entity forgets his identity when he comes in contact with material nature and becomes conditioned. At such a time, he identifies himself as a product of the material nature. Because of the material body, he forgets that he is the eternal Sanatana part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is confirmed in this way. Mamai Vamso Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana Bhagavad Gita 15.7 The word Sanatana is found in several places in Bhagavad Gita. Both the Lord and the living entity are Sanatana eternal and there is also a place known as Sanatana beyond this material nature. The real residence of both the living entity and God is the domain of Sanatana, not this material world. The material world is the temporary external energy of the Lord and the living entity is placed in this material world because he wanted to imitate the position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In this material world, he tries to enjoy his senses to his best capacity. All the activities of the conditioned soul within this material world are perpetually taking place in different types of bodies. But when the living entity acquires developed consciousness, he should try to rectify his situation and again become a member of the spiritual world. I like that, a member of the spiritual world. 
The process by which one can return home back to Godhead is Bhakti Yoga, sometimes called Sanatana Dharma. Instead of accepting a temporary occupational duty based on the material body, one should take to the process of Sanatana Dharma or Bhakti Yoga so that he can put an end to this perpetual bondage in material bodies and return home back to Godhead. As long as human society works, please listen to this carefully. This is such a revolutionary thing, Shiva Prabhupada says here. As long as human society works on the basis of false material designations and false material identification, all the so-called advancements of science and philosophy are simply useless. They only serve to mislead human society. Andar yatandar upaniyamanam. Bhagavatam 7.5.31 In the material world, the blind simply lead the blind. What a statement. Maya yesha maya shrista yat pumam sam shriyam satim man yase nobayam yadvai hamso pasya vayor gatim Sometimes you think yourself a man. Sometimes a chaste woman and sometimes a neutral eunuch. This is all because of the body which is created by the, mater- by the illusory energy. This illusory energy is my potency and actually both of us, you and I, are pure spiritual identities. Now just try to understand this. I am trying to explain our factual position. One of the most important things that we want to know about somebody is are they a man or a woman? Are they male or female? Right? First question when a baby's born is it a boy or a girl? And nowadays with ultrasounds you know they do these ultrasound scans during pregnancy and they can generally tell the gender of the child the sex of the child and you know, it used to be this really exciting thing at birth. Is it a boy or a girl? You know, it was part of the thrill of the birth, was finding out whether it was a boy or a girl. But uh, now that they know beforehand, they want to make it exciting. So they have now these gender reveal parties where they're trying to imitate the amount of excitement that one feels at a birth, <laughs> which is a lot. Uh, I've been to like probably 50 births and so they try to imitate sometimes they really go overboard you know they have cannons and guns shooting out blue powder or pink powder and sometimes they light whole forests on fire I mean that's not funny but you know sometimes people get killed (laughs) with these gender reveal parties and of course uh, eunuchs have always been there if we look at the Sanskrit uh not ubayam, not either of them. So have you been uh, pumsam, have you been male, have you been sriyam, have you been female, or have you been um, neither of them? Nobayam. You're neither male nor female. So there's always been such persons biologically. Uh, the, the medical term for such people now is called intersex, where people, or the child, usually when the child is born, it's obvious that, you know, their gentilia are ambiguous. Uh, and it's caused by a number of different conditions. I mean, sometimes the person has XY chromosomes and un, uh, undescended testes, 
but they have some strong anti-testosterone basis, so they never develop as a male, and uh, they look more like a female. But actually, there there's no uterus, and you know, and, and etc. I mean, uh, um, we may know people like this. I mean, I know one devotee's child that was born ambiguous, sexually ambiguous, and in those days, especially, this was a long time ago, forty years ago. They tended, the doctors tended to do surgeries to try to assign one gender or another, and so they did surgeries to make the baby female, and then they had to give the child hormones constantly in childhood and through puberty. And um, as an adult, the person was quite unhappy and really felt that that they weren't meant to be female. So you know, you have that that kind of situation. Another devotee I know, this is an even more kind of bizarre situation. And there's some island where this is actually quite common, where uh, the child was born apparently female and at puberty uh, became male naturally. So, there, again, there's one island where this condition is quite common. And so, anyway, became a man and, and fully a man. He married and, and had uh, three children. And later on, the children grew up, he took sannyas. Uh, so, you know, we may know some people like this that are biologically eunuchs. And of course, today in in 2021, uh, uniquing yourself has become uh, more and more popular, which is kind of odd. The transgender movement is basically a eunuch movement because one cannot, uh, you know, it's interesting. In the Bhagavatam, we have the story of Elan Sajimna, where a child that's born female and by mystic power is turned into a male then again enters Lord Shiva's forest and is turned female, and then by the power of, the, by an agreement between Lord Shiva and Vasista, the child lived the rest of their life as male one month and female the next month, and produced children as a male and produced children as a female. Interestingly enough, it was the children produced when the person was a female that ended up as a, because became a king, ended up in succession, and this person went back to home and back to Godhead. <laughs> Uh, certainly we'd want to use a pronoun like they for such a person, this, uh, this non-gendered pronoun. And there's a couple places where Prabhupada writes that modern medical science can turn uh, change people's gender, but uh, and it's not really so. So in the Bhagavatam, there's subtle science of the past. Shikandi, of course, is another example. There's subtle science of the past could really turn a body from male to female or female to male as fully functional male or fully functional female. Uh, nowadays, they, they haven't yet figured out how to do that. I'm sure they will, but right now they haven't. So they can give a body an appearance of the other gender to some extent. I mean, especially to some extent, but not fully. And of course, the person becomes uh, impotent. They become sterile and impotent. They basically become a unit. So, you know, transgender basically, if you go through the hormones and the surgery, you become a unit. So it's become uh, something that is, is um, and you know, even if you may address them by the pronoun of a different, they're, they're not really. They become neither, as Krishna is saying here, neither one nor the other. Even hermaphrodite, which are supposedly some of both, really they're, they're neither one or the other. So this has existed biologically uh, from the beginning of time, that there's some biological sexual ambiguity for some people. And nowadays people are voluntarily or, and very enthusiastically giving themselves this kind of ambiguity. 
But the point is that whether, even though this is important, we're going to look at why is this important to even have some idea of, of gender. Uh, in the ultimate issue, if we base anything on these designations in the ultimate issue, Prabhupada makes this really, really strong statement. Again, uh, to keep the context, this is about uh, gender identification. And he says, as long as our human society works on the basis of false material identification, all the so-called advancements of science and philosophy are simply useless. They only serve to mislead human society. So, that's a very strong statement. And again, this is in the context of, of gender. This is in the context of whether you're male, female, or, or neither, or both. Hmm? Uh, what they call it, gender non-conforming uh, is what... We don't call them eunuchs, we call them gender non-conforming, but that's, that's what it is. All right, so why is it, it important? We're going to look at, at why, why is gender even important? Well, it, there's another purport where Prabhupada talks about how male and female exist even in the spiritual world. You know, the Vaikuntha planets, there's, there's couples. Actually, Prabhupada said there's no sannyas in the spiritual world. What are you going to renounce? <laughs> and Prabhupada's talking here in this purport about the spiritual world. So he says in the spiritual world there are male and female and there's a purpose for such arrangement to glorify the Lord. So there's not male and female in terms of sexual exploitation and sexual lust, but in terms of this combination of the male and female energies in glorification of the Lord. And there's, there's loving couples. Vaikuntha is populated by loving couples that ride around in their airplanes and with great beauty. They have great love for each other and they have great love for the Lord. And so such a thing also exists here in this world. And it's interesting that uh, Krishna, when he talks about it here, this is the Lord speaking in this verse, and he calls it Maya Yesha Maya Shrista, that this is my magic, my illusory energy that I have created. Shrista, that I have created this. Maya literally means like a kind of magic or mysticism or illusion but I've created this illusion. So, and he's also saying, you know, you've been, you think that this, sometimes you think this, sometimes you think this. Right, Prabhupada puts in the translation, sometimes, I don't see that actually in the Sanskrit, there's no like kadachit. But we see in this story, that's exactly what happened. Vaidarbi in this life, now that the Lord is talking to her, is this chaste woman, Right? Striyam Satim, not just a woman, he says, but a chaste, a pure woman, an exalted woman. And in her last life, she was Paranjana, she was a man. Of course, this is a fable, but the concept is there. Sometimes you're a man, sometimes a woman, sometimes you're a eunuch. Which means, practically speaking, that it's highly likely that all of us have been men, women, and eunuchs. I know, most likely we have. I mean, that seems to be what Krishna is saying here. You know, we, we all know of, of persons who can remember past lives where, like I know one, one devotee couple, I mean, he's passed away now, but they had several astrologers tell them, you were married 16 times, and sometimes one of you is the wife, and sometimes the other one is the wife. You take turns, who's the husband and who's the wife. So this is, it's not an uncommon thing. It, it's actually, it's actually quite common. I have one more phone call that I have to take on astrologies sometimes. Those were real calls that I had to take. Uh, so we've, we've tried these things in our different lives. You know, we've, we've checked it all out. And none of them is us. 
It's not like the male and female in the spiritual world where that's actually their identity. You know, it's not like that. But for us, it's different costumes. It's, you know, and it, it's funny because there are different religious organizations or quasi-religious or whatever to think we're, whatever we are in this life is what we are eternally. Uh, which maybe is part of what fuels a lot of these these efforts at transgender. You know, like the Mormons, they say if you get married within their church, then it's an eternal marriage. And I thought about that. You know, suppose you don't really want to be married eternally to your spouse. But also there they say that, you know, the men will become gods of a universe and the, their wife will be their consort eternally. And, you know... A lot, there's a lot of religious groups or spiritual groups or semi-pseudo-religious, whatever they are, that say like that. You know, you go to heaven, and if you're a woman here, you'll be a woman there. If you're a man here, you'll be a man there. And that's what you are eternally, a particular gender. I mean, I don't know about about the the intersex people and the, whatever we want to call them. Uh, eunuch isn't a, a popular term at the present time. But the non-conforming, gender non-conforming... And, whether it's a biological situation or whether it's an artificial situation. Uh, do you get to be that eternally? Are you eternally a gender non-conforming person? You know, but that's not our philosophy. Our philosophy, we, we've tried all this. We've been in each of these situations, you know, because we were a man dying thinking of our wife, a woman dying thinking of our husband, or, you know, thinking of an enemy or something like that, and, and then we become that. You know, or so I don't want to be identified as a male or a female, and then we become, you know, some something in between. Uh, ubayor, literally, you know, senayor ubayor maje to go in the middle of both the armies. So you're not either of them, <laughs> or I don't want to be either. I want to be different. So why does this exist? I mean, it seems like a really important thing. I was, I was thinking the other day in re- in regard to this whole question. Because I, I have a friend who's now saying, you know, I'm, I'm not really a woman, I'm really a man, I want to become a transgender man. And, you know, I was thinking about how important these, these differences are in this world. You know, as I said, upon the birth of a child, it's the very first thing, you know, is it a boy or a girl? And I've mentioned this in my classes before, one time I was shopping in, in London I went into this store and the person waiting on me was not clearly male or female. And I was really having a hard time dealing with this person. I couldn't tell by the name tag, I couldn't tell by the dress, by the hairstyle, by anything, whether it was a male or a female. I mean, it was either a very young male or it was a female, but I just really couldn't tell. And while I was having a hard time, I was trying to think of why I was having a hard time. Why did it matter? I just was buying some soap. I mean, what did it matter? the gender of the, of the person waiting on me. And when I left the store, I realized, because I behave differently with males than I do with females. I just, I do. You know, I, I, I realize on a subtle level, whenever I'm dealing with a male, I'm putting out a, this constant no. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, 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 no. And I'm putting some of my energy into just kind of saying no putting up this sort of barrier when I'm dealing with a male. And I don't have that when I'm dealing with a female. And so I need to know. 
am I dealing with a male or am I dealing with a female? And therefore I was thinking in nature, generally, there are some exceptions, but generally in every species, males and females are very obviously different. Again, that's not true for every species. Uh, sometimes, in fact, it's very difficult to tell with certain kinds of entities. But in most cases, it's very easy to tell. You know, the males are usually larger. Uh, sometimes the females are larger. There are some kinds of fish where the females are much larger, for example. Uh, but anyway, one of the genders is usually larger. Usually it's the male, not always. One of the genders may be more colorful in some way. With Among birds, generally the males are more colorful. So the females can sit on the eggs without attracting the attention of a predator. Um, there may be different kinds of coloring on the males and the females. So it's not just a matter of gentilia. You know, then the scan in the womb, they just look at the gentilia. Uh, you know, at birth, we just look at the gentilia. But that's, it's not just that. There's all these other markings. I mean, in, in humans, you can look at a you know, thousand-year-old skeleton and immediately tell whether it's a male or a female. The, the bones are different. You know, obviously among mammals, there has to be placental mammals. There has to be room for the, for the growing baby inside the body. And so the hips have to be quite different, right? And, and among humans, the males have much greater upper body strength. Also, mature human males have a, a more distinct jawline. They have a squarer jawline and their brows are more distinct. Of course, then there's facial hair. Women have breasts. And so there's... There's very, the, the sound of the voice is different. Again, generally, some exceptions, but generally on the phone you can tell, am I talking to a male or a female? Immediately, there's the, the marker of the pitch of the voice. So why is it? You know, Because we do act differently. We have to know. It's obviously something that the Lord felt is extremely important for being to know. And, and it can't just be important in terms of reproduction. You know, that can't be the only importance of it. But there's, there's other reasons that in practically every species, the gender of the other member of your species is very obvious, and it's, it's usually obvious, you know, with a very superficial glance, you know, in a couple seconds. I mean, among humans, as I say, it's, it's obvious from the facial features, facial features, tone of voice, with a very superficial glance. You, know, you, you don't need to to look at, at, at somebody, you know, you don't need to look at their reproductive organs in order to figure out their gender. So it obviously is something very important, and it's, it's one of the first things that we notice about another member of our species. Uh, it's something that's like really, really obvious. So why is that? Again, because we have different relationships. We, we have to. You actually have to. It's, it's necessary. Otherwise, you have chaos in society. Right, And there's also because there are some different functions. Obviously, the most different function is the reproductive function, but that's not a small thing. You know, for most of us, our reproductive years are the bulk of our life. You know, if you live to be like 70 years old, your reproductive years are what, age 15 to 50? That's the majority of your life. And so if you live in a natural society where people have a lot of children, or they're not artificially preventing and killing children, so there will, again, naturally be different functions because of the different reproductive function. There just will be. To say that there won't be is, is kind of madness. 
in modern society where we try to have women's duties and men's duties be exactly the same, the only way we can do that is by preventing or destroying birth. <laughs> it's the only way you can do it. I mean, unless everybody's going to be celibate, which is an illusion. That's not going to happen. So, you know, you either have to prevent birth from occurring or you have to kill the babies. And you have to be pretty sure that you can do that in order for men and women to be doing exactly the same sort of occupations. Even then, they can't do exactly the same sort of occupations. Like, it's really, really difficult for women to get jobs in occupations that require certain physical attributes. You know, in fact, if women try to force themselves to do that, they end up getting very specific kinds of injuries. You know, if women try to become, like, you know, Navy SEALs and SWAT team members and stuff, the, the physical training and the physical regulations that are required for such job generally give those women injuries. And again, they're, they're specific injuries that they see in, in women in those sort of, who try, try to go into those sort of professions. The same thing with certain kinds of athletics. You know, the, the bodies are just built differently. Yeah? So, therefore, there's some distinction. And this concept that different people have different jobs, like we have the Brahmin, Satriyas, Vaishya, Shudras, they have different jobs, is there throughout creation. You know, this sort of differentiation. There's a differentiation in our, within our bodies, that our brain has a different job than our heart, that has a different job from our lungs. And, but it's not, you know, like, well, I don't care about the brain, or I don't care about the heart, or I don't care about the lungs, or I don't care about the stomach, you know. Um, they're all important, even though they, they, they do different jobs. Now, undoubtedly, in this world, there's the cheaters and the cheater. There's one living entity as food for another. And so the tendency in this world is that those who have a stronger position exploit those who have a weaker position. So the tendency in this world have been for men to exploit women. I mean, it's, it's interesting that those who recognize that it's generally men who exploit women don't also recognize that the reason it has generally been men that exploit women is that men are stronger than women, <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> of course, some women also exploit men in another way. But in general in society, it's kind of baked into society that men exploit women. And that's because they can. <laughs> and conditioned souls, when they can exploit, uh, they do whether it's human exploiting animals, whether it's rich exploiting poor, uh, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's there. And that's not unimportant. It just, you can't say it, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. It, it mat- but on the other hand, the Lord is saying here that in the ultimate issue, it doesn't matter at all. And Prabhupada's so strongly making these statements about in what sense this doesn't matter. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, or whether you're, you know, both or neither. Whether you're, they're going to have on U.S. passports now, M, F, and X. (laughs) So whether you're an M, an F, or an X, gender non-conforming, or you're intersex, or you're whatever, you are. In the ultimate, it doesn't matter. So let's look at what Prabhupada's statements are at the end of this purport. Instead of accepting a temporary occupational duty based on the material body, one should take to the process of sanatana dharma or bhakti yoga. 
So a temporary occupational duty based on the material body also applies to the various duties according to gender. And that's what this verse is about. This verse is not about Brahman Satya Vaisheshudra. This verse is specifically about gender. We have duties according to gender, again, and they're primarily related to reproduction because gender is primarily about reproduction. But Prabhupada's saying instead of doing that, take up bhakti yoga. We have members of our Vaishnav Sanghas who push that our temporary duties based on our bodily designations of male and female are more important than our duties of bhakti yoga. We have quite a lot of that, in fact. And those people make a lot of noise. You know, that there are temporary occupational duties based on whether we male or female or gender non-conforming, that these are our main duties. Some of them make a big fuss that you can't have any gender non-conforming, but that's obviously not true because the Lord's putting that as another category and there are people biologically like that. So that's obviously not a fact. But our duties based on these, male, female, gender non-conforming, Prabhupada says, instead of accepting that, we should accept bhakti yoga. Now, does that mean that nobody would marry and have children? No. But it means we should do that as far as, as terms of bhakti yoga, not in terms of because I'm a man or because I'm a woman or because I'm a gender non-conforming. That, okay, I have this female body, so a good way to use this body in Krishna's service is to have babies with it and feed babies with it, and that's what it's meant to do. <laughs> you know, that's, but I'm not doing that because I am a woman, but because I have this body of a woman and I want to engage this body of a woman or this body of a man or this intersex body, whatever one may have, in the service of the Lord. As bhakti yoga, spiritualization of one's temporary occupational duty based on the material body. So I naturally want to, you know, work for government or I naturally want to do business or I naturally want to, you know, paint buildings. I mean, right now we have a devotee painting the outside of this building. That's, that's his nature. So he's using it for Krishna, but not that he thinks I am a Shudra or I am a Ksatriya or I am a man or I am an intersex. I am a soul. I have this body. Let me use this body for Krishna. And then what I think the strongest point here and this is something I feel like should be blazing in neon lights. As long as human society works on the basis of false material identification, all the so-called advancements of science and philosophy are simply useless. They only serve to mislead human society. The blind leading the blind. Again, this is in the context of male, female, and gender nonconforming. It's in that context. So as long as we work on that basis... You're a man, you're a woman, you're gender nonconforming. You're a he, you're a she, you're a they. Then everything Prabhupada says is useless. Again, we have different duties, particularly in the area of reproduction. That's, that's there. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't be so obvious what a person's gender was from you know, a mile away. But that's not the basis of life. It's temporary. We've all been everything. I am not a woman. This life, I have a woman's body. Another life, I've had a man's body. I'm sure another life, I've had a gender non-conforming body. 
You know, we, we've all had all of these. The basis is Jivera Swarapaya Krishna Nichidas, and as Prabhupada quotes earlier, Bhama Vamsa Jiva Goke Jiva Bhutta Sanasana. Nanashastranandriani Prakriti Stani Karshati. We're struggling with this body and this mind, but we are Sanatana, we are eternally a part of the Lord. The Lord is Sanatana, we are Sanatana, we belong to the world of Sanatana. We are not part of this temporary world. We are not part of these temporary designations that we have here. Uh, what does Prabhupada say? We're placed here just because we're rebellious. Living in his place in this world because he wanted to imitate the position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You know, but it, it's not the real thing. And if we're going to base our practice of bhakti yoga on whether we're a man and whether we're a woman or whether we're a eunuch, then it's the blind leading the blind and everything we do is useless. We can have a very high philosophy. We can have a wonderful philosophy. An incredible philosophy. An incredible science about the yoga. And if it's based on are you a man, are you a woman, or are you a gender non-conforming, it's all useless. Prabhupada says, simply useless. I'm not saying, he's saying, don't shoot the messenger. It's just simply useless. Worse than useless. Blind leading the blind, everybody falls into a ditch. Blind leading the blind, everybody falls into a ditch. You're a man, you're a woman, you're a eunuch. No, I'm not. Like devotee asked Prabhupada, is it harder to make advancement if you're a woman? Prabhupada said, if you think you're a woman. No, that's not what we are. We have to use what we are. That's a fact. You know, I've got to know, am I driving a, a gas-powered car or an electric-powered car? or a hybrid. I don't know if I said here, but the other day my, my grandson-in-law was driving a hybrid car. Usually he drives an electric car. Usually he drives a, a Nissan Leaf electric. So he was driving a Prius hybrid. And he said, how can I tell how many miles I have? And I said, well, it doesn't show miles. It shows gallons of fuel. And I was showing him the different ways of dealing with the car. So you have to know what kind of car you're driving. You know, you're going to drive it differently. Is it just a a gas-powered car? Is it elect- just electric? Is it a hybrid? You know, you have to know what kind... But you're not the car. So know what kind of car you're driving, and you can go from one car to another. And You know, I can drive an electric car, and then I can drive a hybrid car, and then I can drive a gas car. I've driven a bus. I've driven a, a small truck. But I'm the same person. I go in the truck, I drive the truck. I go in the bus, I drive the bus. I go in this car, I drive this... You know, I'll go in the van, I drive the van. I've ridden the bicycle. You know, but I'm the same person. So I've got to know when I'm riding the bicycle how to ride the bicycle. I can't ride the bicycle like it's a car. I can't drive the car like it's a bicycle. But if my science and philosophy don't take into account that I'm the driver, it's all simply useless, blind leading the blind. So I'm going to have to go about three minutes early today. I want to uh, really thank your indulgence in my head. Two very important phone calls in the middle of this class. Sorry about that. Um, so if we have any questions, comments, additions, subtractions. Well, I hope this isn't too controversial. Well, the whole class but, has been um, controversial, so it's fine. Okay, all right. Then I'll say. So how do we accommodate within our society 
those who are not of the normal, you know, standard male, female uh, uh, identification. You know, back in 2013, uh, when I was really full-time in the wedding industry, two, two men came, same-sex marriage. It was, of course, illegal at that time in Hawaii. They came to get married, and they were a little attracted to my site because they, they, they were kind of dabbling in, 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 in spiritual life and in his kind. They know a little bit about it. So I formed their marriage, gave them a Bhagavad Gita, gave them beads to try to encourage them that, to make this relationship very spiritual. Well, from the day of their, the day they got married, what's that music in the background? From, from, oh, okay. from, from the day they got married onward to today, they've been chanting 16 rounds. And now they're initiated and they're a beautiful couple. But they told me that before, uh, when they travel different places, they feel really discriminated against. Mm. So uh, anyway, you know, I was kind of curious your thoughts. By the way, when I mentioned to my GBC at the time that I had done that, I'd married, you know, I married a, you know, a couple, and, you know, two men, and he said, don't ever tell anybody. Uh, anyway, I... I, I, don't, I never had a problem with it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid to discuss it. Um, well, so, uh, homosexuality is in a little different category than uh, eunuchs and gender nonconforming, although they certainly have something to do with each other, but they're in a different category. So you're, you've got, which again, the modern term for biological gender nonconforming is, is intersex, and there's a a whole range of medical condition that causes intersex conditions. Intersex people are generally not clearly either male or female. Um, they're generally uh, sterile. They're generally not able to reproduce. Uh, and there's, there's a whole range. Uh, I mean, my sister never matured. She remained as a child. She never went through puberty. And then she was, went through puberty artificially, but she was told she'd probably never have children. She did marry, but she did never have children. Uh, so that's one thing. I mean, I know a devotee's daughter also like that. Uh, they also don't grow very tall. Prabhupada said about her, that one devotee's daughter, he said she was a great yogi in her previous life. He said that when she was two. And her mother told me she started laughing. Prabhupada said, don't laugh. He said, I'm being very serious. So we have, you know, people who in their previous life basically wanted to abjure all kinds of sexuality and so then they might have taken a birth where they don't, they don't sexually mature. So some people don't sexually mature. Some people apparently biologically are one gender. And like I said, the sannyasi that I know who became, went from female to male naturally uh, at puberty. And, so, and there's a particular name for it. And then there's, there's all kinds of variety of people who have like organs of both sexes, you know, internally, externally. So there's that kind of a situation. And uh, what, what used to be, the doctors used to try to medically force such, such persons from uh, babyhood to be one gender or the other. And this is not so much uh, favored anymore. So most intersex people say, just leave the body of the child alone and let them decide when they hit puberty what gender they want to identify with. Now, I know Prabhupada wrote a letter to one person. He said, it's very disturbing if you're sometimes a man, sometimes a woman. Decide what you want to be and be that. So I would say for people who are biologically gender nonconforming, 
um, it's best to say, hey, you know, it's, it's easier for everybody if you really decide on a prominent gender. But, you know, honestly, for some of those people, they don't have a prominent gender on a physiological basis. They just, they just don't. <laughs> they really are gender nonconforming. And uh, such people have existed since the beginning of time. Then we have people who uh, biologically are clearly one gender or the other, but they go through this transgender process, so they basically become, uh, they, they, you know, through surgery and drugs, make themselves eunuchs. They make themselves sterile. Um, they make themselves really neither one gender or the other. They, you really can't turn a man into a woman or a woman into a man, especially you can't turn a woman into a man. But even you can't turn a man into a woman either. And... You know, what to do, you have to deal with people as they are and engage them in Krishna consciousness as they are. I mean, if one can, if one is at the point with such people, well, one can encourage them, just, you know, accept the body that you have and deal with it rather than mutilating it. Uh, but sometimes they've already done that and, and then you just deal with them as they are. Uh, just like you would deal with somebody that was biologically intersex. So you have to deal with somebody who through medical science became... Uh, a eunuch so that that's just what it is the homosexuality is in a different category and that's a lot less clear shastrically and it's a lot less clear biologically um, gender nonconforming is a biological phenomenon but but homosexuality it's uh, the the jury's still out on to what extent there's some biological basis for homosexuality there certainly seem to be some people who are uh, homosexually inclined from a very, very young age. And, but that, as far as the... I've talked to devotee psychiatrists who deal specifically with this, and they say that is in the minority. That most people decide that they are sexually, you know, same-sex oriented later. And some of it comes from trauma. Some of it comes from, you know, social things and, and various other things. I mean, there, there's nothing in the Manasamhita lists eight types of marriage. It does not list a same-sex marriage. It lists all kinds of other things. It does not list that. And we don't find... We find examples of intersex people in the Shastra, and we find examples in the Shastra of people who actually changed with subtle science from male to female. I cannot think of any instance in the Shastra. I mean, we find the example of, of Arjuna who became a eunuch for a year. We, we, I don't know of any examples in the Shastra. It's nothing I'm familiar with of homosexuals or homosexual couples, either Krishna conscious ones or materialistic ones. I, I just don't see it. So it's, it's really hard to say much of anything on it. I mean, Prabhupada made some strong, heavy statements about homosexuality, and he never, to my knowledge, made any statements other than strong and heavy ones against homosexuality. But we don't really have... We have... Shastric basis for uh, eunuchs and gender nonconforming. We, we do have Shastric stuff for that, at least biological. Um, we don't have, and changes that are actually done through subtle science, where the person really becomes the other gender on a reproductive level. But we have nothing in the Shastra that, again, that I'm aware of. We have some stuff in the... In the Manu Samhita, listing homosexual liaisons as a minor sin, um, we have one statement in the Bhagavatam uh, with uh, DT, don't lie with other women, 
that that's all I'm aware of, and so it's it's kind of mysterious why it's not there. Mm. You know, why is it not there? So if we have if like now they're figuring ten percent of the population is homosexual. If it's always been the case that 10% of the population is homosexual, you would think that there'd be a lot more about it in the Shastras, and you would think that we would find examples of same-sex couples in the Shastra. But we don't. So, again, I don't know what to conclude from that. I really don't. Anything that I would conclude from that would be purely extrapolation at best and speculation at worst. So, it's, it's a topic we really can't say much about from a Shastric basis, from a practical basis, you know, you got to stanistita. You got to deal with people where they are. You can't deal with people where you think they ought to be, or where you imagine them to be, or whatever. You have to deal with people as they are. That's always true. Even if you find somebody half killing animals in the forest, you've got to deal with them as they are. And so Norden, when he says, "Hey, instead of half killing them, why don't you fully kill them?" That would be better. Always you have to deal with people as they are. You know, the prostitute comes to tempt Haridas Thakur. He doesn't say to her, how terrible, you're a horrible person. He says, sure, sure, I'll take care of you. Just just sit here and, and, and wait. And just listen. So we always, 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 we have to deal with ourselves where we are. I can't deal with me where I want to be, <laughs> or where I think I am, or where I think I should be. I have to deal with me where I am. I have to. I always give the example of a GPS. If you want directions, you have to not only know your destination, you have to know your location. So that's there. Whether the place where someone is, I think is good or bad, or they shouldn't be, or they couldn't be, or they wouldn't be, is irrelevant. That is where they are. So pretending or trying to force someone to be in a place other than where they are at the present time, it, it just doesn't work. You know, there's that old joke, how do I get there? How do I get to such and such a place? Well, you can't get there from here, you know. <laughs> you have to have a different starting place. <laughs> but that, it doesn't make sense. So that's, that's my answer to that. How we want to, you know, does that mean that where everybody is, is the best place for them to be? No. But if we want to get them from where they are to the best place, we have to start with where they are. I cannot give you directions from where you are not. I mean, I can, but it won't mm. take you anywhere. <laughs> it will take you to the wrong place <laughs> if I give you directions from where you are not. <laughs> I will not get you to your destination. All right. Thank you again all very much for your patience with my getting these phone calls. I really apologize for that. And uh, we will see you next week on our uh, when on the East Coast we go off of Daylight Savings Time. Hare Krishna. Thank you. All right, Krishna. Thank you so much. Very satisfying.